people literally die waiting for organs. Um, sometimes because there aren't matches available at that time. Um, in other cases, it could be possibly that there would have been, but somebody didn't donate and an organ was missed. Hello, I'm Richard Hurley, the BMJ's Features and Debates Editor. The English government pledged to follow in Wales's footsteps by 2020 and to switch from an opt-in to an opt-out system for organ donation, one that presumes that everybody has consented to donate unless they've registered otherwise. And I'm joined by the authors of a recent head-to-head debate on the issue. Veronica English is Head of Medical Ethics and Human Rights at the BMA, and Blair L. Sadler is a lawyer and senior fellow at the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. I'm also joined by Erin Walker, who's a patient who's had two liver transplants, who wrote a, a commentary for us recently. Thank you all for joining us. Ver- Veronica, perhaps you could start by explaining why we, why there's a need to do anything at all for organ donation. Um, what, what's the problem that this is seeking to solve? Of course, I'm very happy to do that. Okay, so we know um, in most countries, including the UK, that there is a real shortage of organ donors. Um, We also know that there are a lot of people who are waiting for organs, who are dying waiting for an organ donation. We know that there are um, a large number of people that would be quite willing to donate organs, but they never actually get round to making their wishes known. And as a result of that, people are dying waiting for an an organ transplant. If we move to an organ donation and opt-out system, then people would be presumed to donate, but would be willing to donate, unless they've expressed a wish not to do so, or unless there's evidence that they don't want to do so. And we believe that in addition to increasing the number of organs available, that would also lead to a cultural change, so that organ donation becomes the norm and the expected thing to happen when somebody dies in a situation um, where, uh, where donation would be a possibility. Blair, it sounds like a no-brainer. It sounds uh, like opt-out uh, can only be a good thing for increasing donations. Why, why have you chosen to argue against reform of the system? Yes, um, my brother, physician, and, uh, and I were involved in this debate 50, 50 years ago when uh, the first heart transplant by Christian Bernard was done. And there is a superficial appeal and I'm not saying that sarcastically. There's just saying, as and Veronica said it well, that well, if most people want to be organ donors, which was true in the U.S. then and is now, but there's a gap between those that number and the number of actual registered donors. Uh, why don't we just presume that everyone wants to be, unless they object? Um, that has a superficial appeal, but when you really look at it with clear eyes and exactly what goes on if you believe in the soft opt-out approach which is what I think we're all saying from an ethical standpoint um, where you're going to still get permission from the family in either case in a tragic situation you're going to have a conversation with the family and so one conversation is we would like permission And the other is we're going to take your organs unless you object. Either way, you have a conversation. We think one is more humane and more altruistic. And in fact, 
the thing we feel even more strongly over the 50 years is if you look at the evidence, and I know Veronica cited some studies which are good, but the key to us, sort of the, the real beacon here of experience is Spain. And if you look at the Spain experience, the reason they get higher donation rates is a result of how the system works and the fact that they're highly skilled nurses and intensivists, physicians, who have conversations with families. Um, <clears throat> so that's why we believe, but rather than wasting the money and time of rewriting the regulations, the law, move ahead with what we know works. Thanks, Blair. So to paraphrase, are you, are you saying that there isn't the evidence there to support making this change to an opt-out system? We feel it's very equivocal, and a lot of it's because the legal change was, like Wales, has been accompanied by a very good public awareness program. Thanks, Blair. Veronica, what do you make of that criticism? Do you, you think there is evidence to, su- to support this um, this change? Would you would you mind explaining what that evidence shows? Absolutely. I mean, I think that there have been, um, as Blair says, there have been improvements in Wales, and I think the data are now starting to to show that. And yes, absolutely, there has been a publicity campaign in Wales. Um, I think the point the point that I need to make is that this is part and parcel of introducing a new system. Part and parcel of introducing an opt-out system is to have the publicity and to, to make the other developments that, that, that go with it. Um, so I don't think we would necessarily have got the investment to have the type of public campaigns um, and the developments that, and training that we have had if we had not had an opt-out system. It is a, an integral part of introducing an opt-out system. So I don't think it is possible to separate out those um, and say, well, it's just because of uh, the publicity, because we have also had many publicity campaigns over the years. I just want to pick up on something that Blair was saying about Spain, because I absolutely agree, and I think we do actually agree on on a lot, actually, Blair, although we we disagree on this one point, um, because I absolutely agree that developing the infrastructure is absolutely crucial. And we have seen huge investment in the UK, huge improvements over the last decade, which have led to massive increases in organ donation rates. We've seen about a 70% increase since that program started. What we are now doing is to build on that um, and to by introducing an opt-out system, we not only have an assurance that we will have this publicity um, because it is a part of introducing the new, um, the new system, um, but also another um, very important point is that the fact about the cultural change, and I do think it's important to focus on that because what we've seen in Wales is, is not just an increase in the number of donors, but we've also seen that support for the system has increased since the new system was introduced. So the public support now for this is now standing at 73%, NHS staff support at 85%. We're seeing more people signing up. I think another important aspect of this is that what we're hearing is that families are now expecting to have that conversation. And they also are more likely to know their loved one's wishes. 
So I think these are all part of what we see as being a cultural change, where people increasingly come to expect to be asked about donation, and donation becomes the norm um, because there is a very positive, uh, a positive view within the legislation. Thanks, Veronica. Blair, what do you say to that? It's, uh, it's about the whole package, and uh, without the, the change in the system, you wouldn't get the um, publicity. Well, I don't think that Veronica says it very well. Um, and I think I agree. we agree with you uh, about the, it is the culture and the norm. My question is simply, uh, and this I don't know that we'll know the answer to, but does it take rewriting the whole law to do that? Um, my my view would be it's the power of the message of the altruism, the quotes from the parents who made that decision, the uh, rec- the stories from the four families whose lives, uh, the patients whose lives have been saved, including Max. Uh, these are the powerful stories. This is what changes behavior. This is what changes expectations in a culture. Um, and I think that's where we should continue to be focusing. And I know you, Veronica, and you, and you all are doing that, but I think there is that lurking concern about, all right, what happens when no uh, death has occurred, a transplant donor potentially is available, and certainly a recipient is is waiting, is the doctor or the nurse, when they talk to the family under your opt-out system, because the donor's intent has not been expressed, if they object, is that objection going to be honored? So the legislation is permissive, so it permits donation to go ahead. It doesn't require donation to go ahead. The legislation says that um, that, that donation, that consent would be deemed unless there is evidence that the person did not want to consent to, to donate. Now, that may be they signed up to the opt-out register, but as an added safeguard, the family would be consulted to ask if there was any unregistered objection. If there isn't a, an unregistered objection, if they're not aware, they don't have any evidence that the person didn't want to donate, then lawfully that donation would proceed. And there are some people who would say, and it should proceed, because that's the individual's wish, and it is about the individual's wish. And I, and I have some sympathy with that. But for me, the big issue here is that we also have a responsibility to the bereaved family. So if there is a situation where it is going to cause significant additional distress to the family, and despite discussion, they are adamant they do not want a donation to proceed, there would be no obligation for that to proceed. So this is about saying that it is it provides the, the lawful basis for donation. It does not require donation to proceed. And there may well be some circumstances, some quite rare circumstances, I hope, where the family, it would be just too distressing for the family and, and the transplant team would not proceed. So this is not about taking organs against people's wishes. This is all about trying the, the very hardest we can to make it as easy as possible for people who want to donate to do so. But what is important, and that's why it is so important, that people have this discussion while they're alive so that they can talk to their families and they can explain to them so that that situation is not likely to happen. And the more people talk to their families and the more they explain that they do want to donate or they can of course opt in which is a a clear wish then these these circumstances are likely to arise less i think it's likely to arise more where we haven't had that discussion
So I'm all in favor of, and been on record of increasing the number of and effectiveness of conversations, and more people opting in. I mean, that's what we're all, I think, saying we want. My worry is what the Nuffield Trust put their fingers on in terms of potential erosion of trust in the system. So, in terms of Veronica, what keeps me up at night, what would keep me up at night, would be the case where. Uh, there's a time urgency, a decision has to be made, the donor has not expressed his or her wish formally either opting in or opting out, and now the clinicians involved need to decide, the family's clearly upset, they're not happy with it, does that rise to the test of severe distress is that, you know now we're getting into a real slippery slope of ethical legal definition, and so if and when the clinicians decide to proceed, and the family is under still under distress, the fallout from that that could set the whole field back significantly. I'm not sure how that is any different though Blair than if somebody had signed up to the organ donor register in an opt-in system and you had exactly the same situation with a distressed family because the same the same situ at the same point could be made there is a lawful basis on which to go ahead if the family it, it is a matter where the clinical team and the transplant team have to make a judgment based on the individual circumstances um, and they are given guidance on that, and there is training. As you say, training for the people that do these jobs is incredibly important. They are very, very professional, very well trained, very sensitive as well to the, to the families. And I think, I think I absolutely understand where you're coming from, but I don't see that this is any different than a situation where there is lawful, um, a, a lawful, um, it's lawful to proceed because somebody has opted in. I think it's a very big difference from an ethical human rights standpoint. Uh, if you have a situation where a person in their lifetime has registered their wishes to be an organ donor versus we don't know, they did not express their opinion, we're going to presume what they wanted. The government's going to decide we're going to presume what that individual wanted and therefore we're going to move ahead. I think those are, those are different situations. And to me, I think the risk of trust, of erosion of trust, in the second setting is much greater. I think I think we have to trust the highly trained people who are who are talking to the individuals concerned to make a judgment as to whether it is appropriate to go ahead. Um, and I think that they do have a lot of experience, as I said, of, of talking to families in this situation. And I think that they will be able to make a judgment. And in some circumstances, it will be appropriate not to go ahead for for that reason. I wonder if I can just bring in Erin Walker at this point, who wrote a, a patient commentary for us. Erin, could you just tell listeners a little bit about yourself and, and, and what do you think about the opt-in, opt-out debate? Yeah, um, so my experience is that I had a liver transplant when I was four. I developed fine, but I developed um, chronic liver rejection and had another transplant when I was 20. So... My first transplant, I don't remember very much because I was really little. And what I do remember is mostly things my family have said. But then my second transplant was quite a formative experience as I'd been really unwell, dropped out of high school, had a, my, my second transplant, and then 
recovered. Um, I was very high functioning. I returned to university, and then I developed. Where was that, Erin? Uh, that was in London, Ontario, actually, where I had my second transplant. Okay. Um, and because in Canada also there aren't very many transplant centers for liver, um, so I returned to university and was diagnosed when I was 24 with recurrent liver disease, um, and which I still have, and um, it is it, it can re- recur, and it is quite likely I will need a third transplant. Um, and that's my understanding from my consultation with my hepatologist over many years. So I'm in a position where I have had two transplants. I will likely need a third. Um, I feel I feel extremely anxious and panicked when you talk, start to talk about families being able to veto wishes. And I completely understand and I feel very compassionate and very sad for families who are grieving and are in a position of needing to decide whether to donate a loved person's organs, um, especially in cases where they didn't know that person's wishes. I suppose I feel, and maybe this is very selfish, but maybe people don't talk enough or maybe there's not enough discord, of course, about the impact on recipients and how actually people literally die waiting for organs, Um, sometimes because there aren't matches available at that time. Um, In other cases, it could be possibly that there would have been, but somebody didn't donate and an organ was missed and that person died from their end-stage organ failure. And that's that's the thing that keeps me up at night, that um, I'll need another transplant, um, and somebody won't, won't, will be willing to donate, but they didn't talk to their family about it. Their family doesn't know, or even if their family did know that they wanted to donate, that they would be able to veto the wishes of, of a donor. Um, I think it is, I think it is a very, very difficult situation. I, but I do think that we do have a duty of care for the people who are left behind. I think it is not I don't like to call it a veto because I don't really see it in that way. I think that it is a, a compassionate approach in a small number of cases because I think, you know, as, as I've said previously, the, the, the specialist nurses who liaise with families are incredibly, um, incredibly well trained and very supportive and they have a discussion with the family and try to encourage them to respect the individual's wishes. But at the end of the day, um, if they are, if it is going to cause them so much distress, then it's not right for them. But also, as Blair said, this could do real damage for the organ donation system more generally. And we do know that that donation rates are subject to fluctuation, and and you can get a uh, if there's a bad story, for example, or something, it can have a bad impact on donation rates generally. So from that to sort of very pragmatic point of view, I think it is important to have that as an opportunity in extreme circumstances. But you've absolutely hit the nail on the head that people do need to have these discussions um, and they do need to talk to families. It seems, it's always seemed to me that there are three different people, three different types of people with regard to donation. There are people like myself who are very passionate, who will go out of their way to sign up for organ donation. There are those who equally are absolutely clear they do not want to donate and they will go out of their way to make sure that they opt out of donation and that people know their wishes. But then there's a big group in the middle who are quite happy to donate. 
but actually never get round to doing anything about it. And those are the people that in, an, in a deemed consent or an opt-out system would be presumed to donate. Um, and I think that that's where, with, with the best will in the world, having publicity campaigns are not going to get anywhere near the number um, that we need. And also, I think there is some evidence to suggest that the type of people that sign up to the register are often not the ones that, that, that end up dying in circumstances where they can be donors. Yeah, and please don't get me wrong about um, what I said about families. I, I feel a lot of compassion and um, a deep respect for those families' wishes. And and I know that the staff who talk about um, organ donation with families are really well trained, and it's not a job I could do personally. I take my hat off to them. Um, I just, I I don't know what the solution is. Until something gets onto your radar as a human, such as organ donation, people aren't motivated to to engage in a behavior like um, opting in, for example, or engaging in a conversation with their families. So I think public education campaigns are really good, but um, it feels like maybe there's awareness raising at the time and then they just kind of fizzle out. I don't know how to make public education campaigns better so that it's more a sustainable um, dialogue with the public. But I think that'd be really important. I'm, uh, thank you so much for the fascinating conversations. I'm going to have to bring it to a close now. If you've, if you've got any final, brief final words, um, Blair, do you have anything you'd like to, to say? Uh, well, first of all, uh, yes. Uh, thank you for the opportunity uh, to be part of this conversation. Uh, I commend uh, everything that uh, Veronica and the colleagues are doing to improve the system. Um, we hope it goes well. We just we have that concern about that the Nuffield Council and others have raised about potential erosion of trust, and you know hope it goes well, and hope that we can continue to be as uh, accurate as possible about what exactly are the factors that will improve a system, and you know make it more effective, so we ultimately can eliminate waiting lists uh, completely someday thank you and erin do you have any any last words um i also wanted to say thanks for being part of this i think um it's nice to have patient perspectives in these in different debates um i'm really keen to see how this evolves in england over the next number of years i feel like it's gonna only be positive um but that we need to keep up the sort of public education campaigns. And um, this may sound silly, but um, Selena Gomez, who's a very um, popular star globally, actually with young people, and I think has, or at one time had the most um, followers on Twitter, had a kidney transplant a year and a bit ago. Um, And I think things like that will also help. But um, I think that just talking to families, talk to your families is the most important thing. It's a really cringy, awful topic, but it can help your family when you're in, when they're in the situation of having to make this decision, um, help them out so that they don't have to struggle with it so much. Thank you so much, Erin. Veronica, do you have any final words? 
Yes, thank you. I mean, I'll echo everything that's been said, but I think we all have exactly the same goal here, which is to make the organ donation system as effective as possible and to save as many lives as possible. And there's also an awful lot that we all agree on. We all agree that about the importance of publicity, about training, about the infrastructure. They're all important things and they must continue whatever system of consent we have. Um, I obviously firmly believe that opt-out has an important role to play in achieving that goal um, and in making donation um, leading to this cultural change so that donation is a normal part of conversation and a normal thing to happen. So we will continue to monitor Wales. Um, I think it is really important being the only part of the UK that the, the legislation being the only thing that's changed. We'll monitor what happens there. We'll monitor what happens in England. And um, as you say, Blair, maybe we'll be back in a few years to, to have another conversation. That's great. Veronica English, Blair L. Sadler and Erin Walker, thank you very much for joining me today. You can read the debate and the commentary online on bmj.com. And as always, we'd be delighted to know what you think. So please send us a rapid response. We republished the best as formal letters to the editor. I'll be back with more debates in the future, so make sure you subscribe to us so you don't miss out. We're on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. Thanks for listening. <laughs>